All right. Well, good morning to everyone and welcome to The Well here at STSA, where we are talking about Jesus for President, part four in this series. And who's excited to talk about presidents and elections? Yeah, I'm sure that's on everyone's mind these days. But of course, we're not talking about that election. Okay, that election. Okay, I'm sure we don't, we're done talking about that election. That's the last thing we want to talk about. We're talking about an election that's going to be much more important and impactful for your life something way beyond four years or how many you pay in taxes or, or, or how long you're, you're going to be wearing masks or things like that. We're talking about the election for the ruler of your life. We're talking about who it is that you choose that gets to be the one that calls the shots of your day-to-day living. And why this election is so important is because the end result, the impact it's going to have on you, it will ultimately determine where you live for the rest of your life. And when I say where you live, what I'm talking about is the kingdom of God, okay? Because our key thought in this series is this, okay? Say it with me so I know that everyone's awake. Living in God's kingdom requires submission to God's kingship. Again, living in God's kingdom requires submission to God's kingship, okay? It's a very simple principle that all of us, if I say, who wants to live in the kingdom of God? That's that's every single one of us. I mean, that's why we're here. That's why we come to church. That's why we pray. That's why we we read our Bible. The ultimate goal is to be in that kingdom of God. Well, the principle is very simple. That in order to live in the kingdom of God, we must submit to the kingship of God. Okay, think of it this way. Every kingdom has laws or has rules. Okay, and the kingdom of God is no different. So sometimes we would think of the kingdom of God as like the rules of a nation or a country. But I want you to think less of that and more like the rules or the laws of science. Okay, so let me explain what I mean. When it comes to like a nation, the law is if you abide by these laws, you get to live in this country. Okay, so if you obey the laws of the United States of America, you get to live in the United States of America and be a citizen. If you disobey the laws, then they may ask you to leave or put you in jail or whatever it may be. But that's not how I want you to think of the kingdom of God. I want you to think less the laws of a nation and think more the laws of science. The laws of science, like take the law of gravity, for example. If someone says, I don't want to obey the law of gravity. The law of gravity doesn't punish you. You punish yourself. Okay. It's not that gravity says, okay, I'm going to knock you down to the ground as much as you choose to uh, you, you, I'm sorry, by your choice, you receive certain consequences of that choice. So think of it, the kingdom of God. Think of it less as obeying the laws to avoid punishment. Think of it more as making a choice, and the choice comes with consequences, both positive and negative. So let me say that, okay, here's our key thought. Like I said, living God's kingdom requires submission to his kingship. Let me say the same thing in a negative way, because I know some people respond more to the negative versus the positive. Let me say it this way. When you forsake his kingship, you forfeit his kingdom. When you forsake his kingship, when you choose to say, I don't want him to be the king. I don't want to obey his laws. I don't want to go by the way that he set things in order. When you forsake his kingship, you forfeit his kingdom. What we're doing here in this series, Jesus for President, is each week we're looking at a requirement and a reward. Okay, we're looking at the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, in order, he makes a promise. 
in order to live in my kingdom, which is something we all want, there's a requirement, okay? And it's all the blessed R's, okay? So blessed are the blank who fulfill this requirement. They will receive this reward living in the kingdom of God. And why this is important is because, listen carefully, the invitation to live in the kingdom of God, Jesus made that to all. Jesus came and opened the door for all of us to live in his kingdom. But the decision to stay in the kingdom, that's on me and you. He opened the door for all of us to enter, but the decision to stay inside, that's something that requires our decision and our action. So that's why we're looking at these Beatitudes, okay? The first week of the series, for those who were here two weeks ago, we looked at blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And we talked about what does it mean to inherit the earth? And it means to win at the game of life, okay? Something here, not just in heaven. And Jesus said, if you want to win at life, okay, you want to live in my kingdom, you will win when it comes to life. The path to get there is this thing called meek. And we talked about what does it mean to be meek? And meek does not mean weak. It means strength under control. That was the first week. Last week, Father Timothy spoke to us about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And we talked about, Jesus says, in my kingdom. Okay, if you want to be in my kingdom, that means you will be filled. You'll be satisfied. You'll be at peace. We say, great, sign me up. That's what I want. But he says, the means to get there, the requirement is those who hunger and thirst, not for the things of this world, but for something greater. And we talked about that last week. This week, we're going to go to our third beatitude, which is a very fitting one for this particular week in the history of the world and the history of our nation. It says this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Full disclosure. When I originally planned this series... Okay, and I set the order for all the different messages. I plan this particular message to come on this particular weekend. Because what I thought, okay, what I thought is that this would be five days after the most hotly contested and divisive political uh, presidential election in the history of our nation. That's what I thought. I thought it'd be five days after. Little did I know, okay, we would be right in the middle of the whole thing and the way it's looking, it looks like it's going to continue to get worse before it gets any better, before this stuff goes away. But I planned it originally because in my mind, okay, it's going to be five days after the election. Someone is won. Someone is, is, is lost. And the whole thing is over. And like, okay, let's get together, guys, and let's move forward. Okay, the thing is over. The fighting is done. Let's get on the same page. Let's make peace. And let's move forward. Little did I know that the fighting is not, it seems like the fighting is just getting started in a lot of ways. But you know, I thought about it. Actually, I actually think the message may be more relevant now than it would have been if the election was over. Because it's easy to make peace when the game is over. Like when the fight is done and you've won or you've lost, it's a lot easier to make peace. The challenge is the one who knows how to make peace and takes initiative to make the peace when the fight is still on. And when it's actually at its, at, its, at its most heated moment, and that's where we stand right now. So I started to think about this. I said, you know what? Look here. Maybe God has a bigger plan. Maybe God has a bigger plan. Maybe God didn't want to, to give this us at the end 
and say, okay, just, you know, move on and, and, and make peace. Maybe God wants to use us as agents of the peace while the fighting is still going on and while the divisiveness is still there, whether it's within our community or even beyond that. Because the bottom line is all of us, all of us, and a person right here who said we don't want peace. All of us say we want peace. What I'm saying today is if we are Christians, it is not our duty to be peace wanters or peace lovers or peace prayer forers. It is our duty to be peacemakers. Because according to Jesus, that's what distinguishes us as his sons and his daughters. Now, Jesus says, if you do this peacemaking thing, I call you my son. Let me ask you a question. And parents, parents, we all know the answer to this question. I would say we're all guilty of what I'm about to say right here. And luckily my kids aren't here today, okay? So I can say this story in its entirety. When is it that we as parents like to say, that's my son? When is it that we say, you know what? Yeah, that one right there, that's my boy or that's my girl. Exactly. When we're proud of them, okay? Exactly like you said. Is when we're proud of them, okay? I remember when my son Michael was like four or five years old and he started to play t-ball. Okay, parents, remember when our kids played t-ball, okay? And t-ball, if you've never seen four or five-year-olds play t-ball, they like hit the ball every now and then and they don't know where they're going. So they just kind of like run around, they're staring at the sky, you know, little Billy's playing with the dirt, and, you know, Joey's picking his nose and flicking. So, I mean, it's kind of chaotic, okay? But it's fun, and it's good, whatever it is. Well, I'm telling you, my son Michael, okay, my son Michael, he was the happiest kid on the planet when he would get a hit, okay? So Michael, Michael would swing and hit the ball, and the ball would just go like four feet or whatever it is, okay? But Michael would just run, and he would run like this. I remember he would run, and he'd be looking, and he'd be smiling, okay? And I remember all the parents would be like, who's that kid? And i go, that's my boy. That's my boy right there. That's my boy right there. And I would proudly say, that's my boy. Now compare that to like a half hour later, an hour later when the game is over and we're in the restaurant and he's throwing a temper tantrum on the ground or in the grocery store or whatever it may be. And what, what do you hear me say? You say, Marianne, go get your son. <laughs> right? Go, 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 go get your boy. Okay, go get your, we don't, we all do that, right, parents? Like we're all guilty of that in some ways. Well, understand what I'm saying, okay? Because understand what I'm saying. Maybe, maybe in some ways, God is kind of the same? Maybe? Like maybe there's some things, maybe. Maybe there's some times where God looks at us, looks at you or looks at me and says, that's my son. Yeah, that one. You see that one? And he's like, oh, Archangel Michael. You see that one right there? That's my son. Oh, you see her over there? Look, all the saints in heaven. Come here, come here, look. That's my daughter. And he says it proudly. And then maybe there's other times. I don't know. I've never, maybe there's other times where God's like, Whose kid is that again? Oh. I think <clears throat> that us, to make God proud, put a smile on God's face, that's my boy. The path, according to Jesus, is peacemaker. Is someone who goes out of his way to make peace on this earth. And if you want to know why that is, well, as a Christian, you... If our job as, as Christians is to be sons and daughters of, of, of our Heavenly Father, the family business, the family business is to make peace. I'll show you a verse right here on the screen, but you already know it, how it goes. Okay, fill in the blank here for me. When the angels came, okay, and when Jesus was born, the angels appeared 
and they started um, uh, some uh, praising. Okay, in Luke chapter 2, they said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. If we're going to be sons and daughters of our heavenly father, if we're going to follow in his footsteps. And according to Jesus, the way we do that is by being peacemakers. What I want to do today is I want to talk about what that means. Okay, what does it mean to be a peacemaker? What does it not mean to be a peacemaker? Why should I do it? Why should I even care? And most importantly, how it is that I can take some steps in that direction. Let's start first with definition. First, let's talk about what peacemaking does not mean. Okay, peacemaking is not two things. Peacemaking is not avoiding and appeasing. Say that with me. Say peacemaking is not avoiding and not appeasing. Very good. Peacemaking is not avoiding. It doesn't mean to bury your head in the sand. It doesn't mean to run away from conflict. It doesn't mean to pretend that it's not there. That's not peacemaking. That's cowardice. And sometimes we confuse the two. We think that to say, no, 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 there's no problem or whatever it may be. Okay, we think we're making peace. No, no, we're just avoiding. And we're, and we're, we're, we're afraid of conflict. Jesus was not afraid of conflict. A peacemaker is not afraid of conflict. Sometimes he actually goes through the conflict. The second thing is peacemaking is not appeasing. It's not just giving in. It's not just letting the other side win. Like, you could, can you imagine if Jesus had an appeasing or an avoiding mentality when he was on this earth? Like, imagine there's the Pharisees over there, okay? And the Pharisees are kind all kinds of problems, and the Pharisees are saying all these things, and the disciples say, Jesus, the Pharisees are saying that, and we should say something. Imagine Jesus just saying, like, no, I don't want to make waves. No, 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 I don't, I don't want to ruffle any feathers. That's not peacemaker. Jesus would never do that. Jesus would never be a doormat. Okay, Jesus would never say, when someone said, okay, you know, that, that, that sin over there, and Jesus would say, ah, it's not that big a deal. No, 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 no. Jesus spoke the truth when it needed to be spoken. Being a peacemaker has nothing to do with avoiding, has nothing to do with appeasing. I would say the verse that captures what does it mean to be a peacemaker, Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24 says this. If you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Now notice the interesting thing that it says right here. It says if your brother has something against you. Like it doesn't say, I would understand it if it said, if you got something against your brother. Like, if I have something against you, and then I come here to the altar, I should, no, 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 I got something against you. I need to go, and I need to seek you out. I need to make there be peace. But what this is saying is if someone else is angry with you, and you would say to yourself, was it my problem? Like, if they're the ones who are angry, they're the ones who should seek me out. If they're the ones who are offended, they should come and talk to me. Well, you know what? No, that's not how it works as a peacemaker. Because if you think about it, we are goals to be sons of our heavenly father. Okay, sons of God. Well, think about how the Son of God did it. The eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ. Did he wait? Like, did he do anything wrong? Did he make any mistakes? No. But did he wait for us to come to him? We were in the wrong. He didn't wait for us to come to him. He came and, and, and made peace with us. So you know what this verse tells me? Look, whether you are the offender or you are the offended, if you want to be a son of God, here's the definition of what it means. It means taking initiative to reconcile the relationship, taking initiative to reconcile the relationship. When I was a kid, okay, so I got two brothers. I got an older brother and a younger brother. My older brother is about a year, year and a half older than me. And my younger brother is nine years younger. Okay, so there was a, obviously a big age difference right there. 
And for the most part, okay, so it'd be like me and my older brother and then my younger brother. For the most part, we all got along. For the most part, okay? Especially, you know, like we played sports together and basketball and, you know, we hung out, whatever it is. For the most part, we got along. There was just one area where with my younger brother in particular, we didn't get along. Or sometimes it got a little bit rough, okay, a little bit physical. Video games. <laughs> when it came to video games, when it came to video games, okay, <laughs> I'm in church, so I got to watch what I say. My younger brother was the most annoying person on the planet. When it came to video games, he is nine years younger, okay, and he used to whip us in video games. And I'm talking about like we're in high school and he's like four, okay, and he's whipping us in video games. But if it was just the beating us in video games, like that would be okay. No, 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 no. My younger brother, he liked to talk trash. He liked to taunt. He liked to rub it in the face. He liked to run up the score. He would run up the score in whatever it is that we were playing. And then every now and then, every now and then, the sun would shine down upon us. The sun would shine down upon us. The favor of God, the grace of God would be with us. And we would be winning. And we would be playing this game. It would be the third quarter. And we got a lead. And into the fourth quarter. And we start winning even more. And here it is. Our moment of glory. Our moment of glory. What does he do without fail? He pulls the plug. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, I can't say that. I can't repeat that. Yes, exactly. He pulls the plug. And I'm telling you, at that moment in time. See, he was smart. My younger brother was smart. He knew he was going to get a beat down. He knew he was going to get a beat down at that moment in time, but he knew it was 30 seconds. That's all it was, 30 seconds. All he needed to do, pull the plug. We start going crazy on him. He knew he had 30 seconds of screaming and beat down before mom came down or dad came down and saved the day. Our parents were pretty quick, okay, pretty nimble back in the day. So it only took 30 seconds. So he was very calculated. He said, you know what? I know I'm going to get beat down for this. There's only 30 seconds. It's worth it. He pulled that plug and boom. And then every time without fail, every time, He's the one who initiated it all, okay? He's the four-year-old who little pulled the little plug, whatever it was. He's the one who initiated it. But every time, what do our parents say without fail? What do our parents say? They come down, they see what happened, and they say this. It's like in the parent handbook, they have to say the following sentence. They say to me, apologize to your brother. And I don't want to apologize. Not to apologize. Apologize to your brother because you are the older. That's, it's in the handbook of parents. You're the older brother. You got to say sorry. You're the older. He's young. Just say sorry. You're the older brother. Well, again, I'm not saying God is exactly like this. But did you ever think to yourself that maybe God looks down on us and we are sitting here in conflict and fighting and she did and he did and he said and she said, Wah! and God's like, you know what? Go say sorry. You say, well, I don't need to. And, she, and God says, but you're the older. You're the better. You're the son or daughter. Like, you're talking about some guy at work. Like, he's, 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 he's confused. He's lost. Doesn't know where he's going. You're my son. You're my daughter. You partake of my body and my blood. You pray. You say, our father who art in heaven. Like, you're, you're better. You're better. And according to this verse that we just saw, he says, look, I took all the initiative. I left everything to come down and make peace with you. And I'm telling you, I didn't do anything wrong. I did that. Okay, watch what I'm going to say here. It's not in an arrogant way. He, Jesus is saying, I did that 
because I'm better. Not better in that way, but because I'm, 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 I'm spiritually minded. I'm thinking about different things. I'm not, I'm not down here. I'm up here. If you want to be my sons and daughters, you want to live in my kingdom, you need to be better. Take the initiative, even if it means leaving your gift at the altar to go make peace first, first things first. Now, with that said, okay, please note that the verse says that after you make the peace, come back and offer your gift. Okay, our finance team wants to make sure I always say that. Okay, don't leave that part. It doesn't say just leave your gift. It says leave your gift, go make peace, and then come back and then offer your gift. Okay, so but anyway, first things first, okay? Be a peacemaker means taking the initiative to reconcile the relationship. Look, if we're going to be sons and daughters, if we are going to be children of the kingdom, we're going to be people who live inside the kingdom of God. We need to be people who got our eyes on the prize. And we are above all this stuff. We're not going to get hung up on why should I, or it's not fair, or he doesn't deserve, or she shouldn't get this. We're not going to be those kind of people. Our goal, look, our goal, we just said this a minute ago. Our goal is to live in the kingdom. Our goal is to live with Jesus as our king, the ruler of our life, the one who calls all the shots. Well, Jesus laid down the path. And the path is, if you want me as your king, you want to live in my kingdom, you must be a peacemaker with your brother and your sister. Think about it this way. If I say to you, or if you say to me, I'm sorry. If you say to me, Father Anthony, I love you. You're the best. I want to spend time with you. And I say, that's great. But then you say, but I can't stand your wife. Okay, and I don't want to talk to her. <laughs> okay, then that's going to put a serious dent in our relationship. Like if you say, I want to come to your house and hang out, but when I see your wife, oh, I'm going to walk by like this, or I'm going to avoid like this, or, you know, I'm not... With, then you can't come to my house. Like, I want you to come to my house, come over, watch the, 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 the football game together, have dinner. That's great. That's what I want. But if you don't have peace with my wife, you can't come to my house. It's very simple. Well, maybe God says the same thing. And that's why I say this to you. Okay, listen carefully to this. I tell this to people all the time in confession. Listen carefully. Sometimes we got a problem in our spiritual life. I can't focus when I pray. I don't understand anything when I read the Bible. I come to church and I'm so distracted. Maybe the answer isn't about prayer or Bible or church. Maybe it's none of those. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's peace. Because you can't substitute for peacemaking. You can't outpray the lack of peace with your brother or sister. You can't, outread, you can't read more of the Bible and get to the point where you read so much of the Bible that it doesn't matter if you have peace. And I'm telling you, for some of us, let's be honest, for some of us, this is, the, this is the reason, like, this is it. This is why we can't sleep at night. We don't like to say that. We like to pretend it's not, like, this is it. And let's be honest. Church teaches us this. What do we do every time we come to pray the divine liturgy? Before we participate in the Eucharist, in the communion, the church gives us a very, very important ritual that is more than about just the ritual. It's called the kiss of peace, where we peace with one another. And we do that, okay, obviously pre-COVID. Okay, now during COVID, we just kind of bow towards each other, you know, or, you know. But what we're, if you remember back in the day when we used to actually do a kiss of peace with one another, we would go around and we would say peace, okay, peace and love to all the people around us. And I've been to churches, okay, especially like as, as a priest. Like if you ever have a liturgy where there's like, you know, 15 priests or 20 priests, which, you know, I've been in some of those. Every priest goes to every single one, okay? It's like a thing and it becomes like a, it becomes a thing, okay? But the point is, is that when you in the church, you're saying peace with one another, you're actually not just saying peace with the people who are around you. You're saying peace with that guy over there. And don't forget about that girl over there. You're actually saying peace with the person who's not even in the room. 
You're saying peace with the people who, you know, from last week, or the people in the office, or my, my uncle, or my, my aunt, whatever it is. And the reason why we cannot approach the table of Christ if there's no peace with one another. That's what Jesus said. Let me give you a quote here from a church father, St. John Chrysostom. It's a long quote, but it's a beautiful one. Listen carefully. It says, if you have anything against your enemy, get rid of your wrath, heal the wound, let go of your hostility that you may receive healing from the table. See that again? Let go of the wrath that you may receive healing, promise and condition. For you are approaching the awesome and holy sacrifice. Show reverence for the goal of the sacrificial offering. The slain offering is Christ. And for whom was he slain? For what purpose? That he might make peace between heaven and earth to make you a friend of angels, to reconcile you to the God of all, to make you an enemy and an adversary, a friend. He gave his life to those who hated him. Will you continue in enmity with your fellow servant? For this reason, at the very time of sacrifice, he recalls to us no other commandment than that of reconciliation with one's brother. It's a beautiful quote. And I want you to remember that every time you stand to pray, every time you come to church, every time you want to open up the scriptures, and I'm telling you, if you are not going to have peace here, you are going to struggle peace here. And that's why according to this verse, when I say it a slightly different way, the issue of being a peacemaker is not do they deserve it. The issue of being a peacemaker is do I deserve it? And I say the answer is yes. I deserve to be able to pray. I deserve to be able to participate and, and receive the healing from the table. I need more for me. So therefore, the path, peacemaker, is easy. Let me show you this verse from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15. St. Paul says this. He says, pursue peace. I like that word pursue, chase after. Pursue peace with all people, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this, many become defiled. Pursue peace. Chase after it. Look for it under the bench. If you see it over there, pick up the rock. Chase after. Do whatever it takes. Take the initiative as you would with any prize, as you would in any sporting competition. You don't start a game of soccer and say, okay, there's the ball. Okay, you can start. No, 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 no. There's no you start. It's a prize. It's a competition. I want to score. I'm going to go get that ball. And if you got the ball, I'm going to go chase after it. I'm going to pursue it. We need to be the same way when it comes to peacemaking. Okay, so with that said, Let's pivot here a little bit, and we're going to talk practical now. I'm going to give you three practical tips. That they're not, it's not an exhaustive list, not the only way to be a peacemaker, but three tips, three things to keep in mind, very practical. You're going to memorize them, and at the end of each one, I'm going to give you a challenge, a very practical way that you can put this uh, into your day-to-day, -day, okay? So the first tip, read it with me, everyone, so I know that you're awake under those masks. First tip is look for the... Why behind the what? Very good. Look for the why behind the what. There's a lost art today. And it's called the lost art of listening to understand. Okay? Usually when we listen, let's be honest. Usually when we listen, we are oftentimes listening not to understand, but to respond. Very good. For example. Let's say my wife, okay, comes to me and says, we need to go out on a date. It's been a while since we've been on a date. We need to go out on a date, okay? And, and, and the, you know, the beginning, it was like 
we haven't COVID and we were scared of that. that. So that got us through like March, April, May. And then it was like, it's the summer and it's hot, whatever it is. And now it's been like six months. Stop making excuses. And okay, it's time for us to go on a date. That may be what she says. But maybe there's a why behind it. And maybe the why behind it is, I feel unloved. I feel you don't care. I feel sad. I feel distant. If you only listen to the what, you will go out on a date and you may not accomplish your goal. You probably spend a lot of money in the process as well, but I mean, that's a different subject. Versus if you focus on the why, you hit the root. Okay, the what it may be the symptom, but the, the why hits the root. And the why may be completely different than the what. A friend comes to you and says, you know, I can't make it to whatever birthday event or whatever event that you got going on. And you're thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, he's so uncaring or she's so unloving and they're never there for me. And, and because what they are saying is I'm not there for you, but maybe there's a why. And maybe the why is they're afraid or they feel bad about themselves or they're stressed out. It didn't take me very long in my priesthood to realize that every person has a story and there's always a why behind the what. There's always a why behind the what. And if we're going to be peacemakers, then we're going to be people who look for the why behind the what. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let's be honest. When we're in conflict, when we're in disagreement with one another, we're usually not looking for the interests of one another. We're usually looking out just for our own interests. My needs, my, uh, my, my feelings that got hurt, or this person offended me. We're only focused on what you did to me. Look at this verse says. This verse says we should look out not just to our own interests, but to the interests of others. Let me give you a different verse. Okay, a different translation of the same verse. In the Amplified Bible says it more clearly. It says, let each of you esteem and look upon and be concerned for. I like that. Be concerned for not merely his own interests, but also each for the interests of others. It's not just about, well, they hurt my feelings. It's not just about, well, I, I'm upset by this. If we're going to be true peacemakers, we need to think about the interests of others, the hurts of others, the needs of others. So here's the challenge, okay? And I want everyone to do this. I want everyone to think of one person that they have a conflict with right now, okay? Think of one. That's not, that's not the challenge, okay? That's just like the first step of the challenge. But the first step, think of one person. Okay, I'm going to tell you what to do with them. Think of one person that you're in conflict with. And I want you to think of one to two reasons why they may be acting that way. Think of one to two reasons why they may be acting that way. And I'll give you some examples, okay? It's something that you, you can think of, but I'm sure you can come up with more on your own. Maybe there's something going on at home that you're unaware of. Maybe something going on at work. Maybe something going on in health. Maybe that person is afraid. There's a lot of fear these days, okay? A lot of people who are pushing an agenda of fear, fear, fear. Maybe they're fear. Maybe they're afraid. Maybe they're stressed. Maybe there's anxiety. Maybe there's discouragement. Maybe there's a heartache. Maybe there's a mourning. Maybe there's an emptiness. Maybe there's a despair. I don't know what there is. But I know that there, there may be something there beyond the what. And what we usually do, and this is where we got to be better. What we usually do, we rush to, they're crazy. They're mean. They're bad people. That's what we usually do. Someone who disagrees, someone who causes conflict, they're crazy people. They don't care about me. They're just bad. And we, we need to be better. 
we need to take the time to look deeper and ask ourselves, is there a why behind the what? Number two, say it with me. We will attack the problem, not the person. Very good. Attack the problem, not the person. It is impossible. It is impossible to blame a person and solve a problem at the same time. You got to choose. You're going to put your energy towards blaming or towards solving the problem. If you're in your house and all of a sudden, boom, the house catches fire. The house is on fire. You got two choices, blame or solve. Blame, who left the matches too close to the whatever, or did you plug the toaster into the thing? Or did... You can sit there and blame. That's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to focus on solving the problem. Get me a bucket of water or get me the fire extinguisher or get me the heck out of here, okay? I'm going to solve the problem now and I'll break down game film and do analysis later. I'm not worried about blame. I'm worried about solve. And we need to be the same way when it comes to conflict. Ephesians chapter four, verse 29, St. Paul says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification? Necessary edification. When we're in conflict, we must ask ourselves the question, what is necessary at this time? Blaming the person or attacking the problem? Let me give you an example that, that I saw um, at a conference I attended, you know, probably 10 years ago at this point or something like that. There was a marriage conference. It was called Weekend to Remember. Okay, Marianne and I went. Um, and they were talking about marriage. And they, they, they did this example. The speaker and his wife did this great example. I'll never forget it. Okay, what he said is conflict or they were talking about conflict resolution. So conflict oftentimes is like a couple sitting on opposite sides of the table, okay? And then he had a salt shaker, okay? So we'll make this the salt shaker. And the salt shaker is like the problem. And he said, you know, you come and you say, you know, you did this and this to me. And then your wife says, well, actually I did that because you did this, this, and this. And each one is kind of pushing the problem on the other side. And you need to change this and this. Well, and you need to change this and this. And each one is pushing the salt shaker to the other side. And he said, that doesn't work. What he did, okay, after that, he put the salt shaker on the middle of the table and he took his wife by the hand and they sat next to each other. And they looked at the salt shaker and he said, this problem is against us. You do not have a problem or I do not have a problem. We have a problem and we together need to attack this problem. He identified that the enemy is not your spouse. The enemy is not the person you have the conflict with. Let me ask you a question. Do you know who your true enemy is? Do you know? Because it's not your spouse. It's not your boss. It's definitely not your kids. It's definitely not the person on the other side of the internet, wherever that may be, who who wrote that blog post or commented on yours or whatever it may be. Do you know who the true enemy is? Because if you don't, you're in trouble. Because we have an enemy. And his name is Satan, is the devil. And the devil's job is to create conflict between us And I'm telling you, this is very important. You ask yourself this question. If there's conflict between me and you, if there's conflict between me and you, what is the devil doing when that is happening? Answer, he is smiling from ear to ear. I'm telling you, if there's anything that I'm doing that makes the devil smile, man, I need to rethink my position on that one. I need to rethink my position. Let's go back to the election, the election out there. This week, you don't need me to tell you, the division 
the conflict, the fighting. Let me ask you a question. Who wins when there's all this fighting in our nation? Who wins? The Republicans win? Democrats win? Like, who wins? Who wins when everyone hates everyone? Who wins? Yeah, exactly. Exactly, the people who are not in this country. The enemies of this country. The people who are sitting there say, we want to attack this people. And we want them to go down. And we want, we want to destroy them. Those people are sitting back this week and saying, thank you, God. This is a great week. Because they're fighting each other. In the easiest way. The easiest way to take down any family, nation, church, is from within. Let the people fight with each other. Let them, let them do the work. Like, here I am, kingdom of God. Now, forget about the election. Here I am, kingdom of God. Okay? Kingdom of God. And the devil hates the kingdom of God. Devil wants to destroy the kingdom that I'm saying I'm fighting for. He's fighting against. What's the easiest way to, what's the easiest way for him to destroy it? Easy. No problem. Have them fight each other. And did you realize that when we have conflict with one another, regardless of the source of that conflict, if we have conflict with one another, we are helping the devil's cause. We are making him smile and say, this is a light week for me. This was great. So here's your challenge. First challenge was to think of a couple whys behind the what of someone you're in conflict with. Think of that same person that you're in conflict with. Ask yourself, what is the devil's role in this conflict? Do you ever think about that? You're fighting with so-and-so. What is, how does the devil see this? What is the devil thinking as I am ignoring or I am firing back or as I am judging or gossip? Like, what is the devil thinking? Ask yourself that question. I'm not even saying to do anything, but I'm saying just that perspective alone. Again, if there's something that I am doing that is putting a smile on his face, I need to rethink my game plan here. <clears throat> Attack the problem, not the person. Recap. Remind me again. Okay. Class participation. Let's go. Number one, the first tip. Okay. Our big picture is we want to be peacemakers, to be called sons of God. Doesn't mean avoiding. Doesn't mean appeasing. It means taking initiative to reconcile. How are we going to take that initiative? Number one is we will look for the why behind the what. Very good. Thank you. Secondly, when we, when we see the situation, we will attack the problem, not the person. Very good. Thank you. Third, this is the hardest one. We will focus on my part, not theirs. This is the hardest one. Focus on my part, not theirs. This is the one where I'm going to challenge you. Okay, the first two challenges were just kind of like think of what might be, look at different perspective. Here's what I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you to do your part, even if the other person doesn't do their part. I'm going to challenge you to take the initiative and do what you know you need to do, even if the other person doesn't deserve it, even if they don't ask for it, even if they don't even want it. Because that's what it means to be a peacemaker. Here's a golden verse. Okay, this is a memory verse. We're going to read this all together because I want you to memorize. This is a memory verse. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible. No, 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 no. I didn't hear anyone. Say it again. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Thank you very much. If it is at all possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. This verse teaches us a couple things. First thing. It teaches us there are some things that are outside of our control. Some things are outside of our control. Some people we will never have peace with. 
we will never become best friends with. We will never take that vacation to the Bahamas together no matter how much we try. We will never have peace with every single person. That's okay. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, but there are some things outside of your control. But with that said, that doesn't mean that we still don't have a duty even in those situations. The goal is that no matter what between me and you, okay, whatever the conflict between me and you, no matter what, if you and I get to the end of this race, okay, get to the end of this life, and we stand before God's throne, okay, that's going to happen in front, with all of us, okay, one day we're going to get called to the principal's office, okay, and the principal's going to ask us, why did you two not get along? It's going to happen with all of us. The goal is that I, I may not be able to say, I want to be able to say I had peace with all, but I know that's not going to be a reality, but I need to be able to say I did everything I could. That if there's not peace between me and this person, it's not because I didn't try. It's not because I didn't do everything in my power. And again, remember, we're talking to stand in front of God, not stand in front of yourself. You can convince yourself you did everything, but you're going to stand in front of God who sees and knows the hearts and the thoughts inside, inside all of us. I need to be able to stand in front of God and say, there's not peace between me and this person. It ain't because of me. And think about it. Isn't that exactly how Jesus was? Did Jesus have peace with every single person? Did Jesus get along with every person? There were some people who really didn't like Jesus. There were some people who, as soon as Jesus walked by, got very angry. And there's a lot of people. I mean, they killed him, right? Like they arrested him and they killed him. There's a lot of people that didn't get along with Jesus. But you can't say that Jesus didn't, that the reason was Jesus' fault. You can't say that Jesus didn't do everything in his power to make peace with those people. But they chose not to reciprocate. That's on them. We're going to be his sons. We're going to be his daughters. Bottom line, I got to do whatever it takes to keep the peace. As much as depends on me. What does that look like practical? Let me give you some practical. It looks like this. It looks like you had a blow up with your friend. Okay. And, and, and they said this and you said this and they, and they, fired, and they said, and, they, and in the end, you know what? They said 90%. Okay. 90%. They said 90% of the bad stuff. You said 10%. You know what I say to you? Go apologize for the 10%. Simple. But 90% was them. Okay, that's between them and God. It has nothing to do with you. But 10% was on you, right? You said things you shouldn't have said, right? You do things that, 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 that is not what Jesus commanded you to do, right? Then you go apologize for those 10% and you leave the rest on God. Let's say you have a problem with a relative. Okay, something that someone did a long time ago and what they did is wrong and, and, and there was a big blow up and was uncalled for and then you responded, but you know what? They started it. So you've been all these years with, well, they started it. Well, they started it. Well, you know what? I've looked up and down the scripture. I don't see any verse that says, love one another, forgive one another. Oh, but unless they started it. Oh, oh, they started it. Okay, you didn't tell me that. So if they started it, yeah, give them the business. It doesn't say that. Look, doesn't matter what someone else did. Doesn't matter what someone else said. If you, if you badmouthed, if you gossiped, if you posted stuff on their wall to send, a, a, to send a message, you own your part. You own your part. Someone hurt you. They hurt you bad. And you didn't say anything to them. You didn't respond. You didn't badmouth. You didn't slander. You didn't anything. But you haven't forgiven them. And you say they don't deserve forgiveness. They don't even want forgiveness, Father Anthony. And I say to you, I hear you. I feel you. You got a thousand reasons not to forgive them. But there's just one reason to forgive. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, St. Paul says this. It's because of this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond, bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort, make every effort, make every effort. I don't think I should forgive them, but you need to make every effort. And they did. But you make every effort. Make every effort to keep the peace because that is what Jesus did for us. So here's our challenge with this one. First two, like I said, the first two were more about shifting your perspective and asking yourself questions. This one, I'm asking you to take a step. Ask yourself, what's one step? What is one step that you can take this week to make peace with? Fill in the blank. With that person that you're struggling with. And that person may be, you know, someone on the other side of the world, the other side of the country, someone you haven't spoken with for years, or maybe someone who's sitting right next to you, maybe someone who's in this church right now, maybe right next to you right now, please don't elbow one another. What is one step you can take to get closer to peace? And again, it's a step. It's not going to solve all the problems. Okay, think of like, here's where I stand right now, and peace with that person is all the way at the end of this hall, okay? All the way where those doors are over there. So between here and there is a long process. And I'm not saying you get there this week, but what I'm saying this week, take a step. You're never going to get anywhere unless you take one step and then maybe the week after another step. And you know what? Maybe after those two steps, it's really hard. We'll pause for a little bit and we'll kind of digest. But you know what? We need to be moving in that direction. And maybe that step is, you know what? Make a phone call. Maybe that step is, you know what? Say a prayer. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's pray for the other person. Maybe that step is, you know what? Let go of a past hurt. Maybe that step is to move on and let go. Like, I don't know what the step is, but what is one step that you can take? Y'all are smart people. Y'all have heard of this, the, the law of sowing and reaping. You know this, okay? The law of sowing and reaping, which says what you sow, you reap. If you sow tomato seeds, you will reap a tomato tree or tomato fruit or tomato vine or whatever it is, okay? You put orange seed, you get orange fruit. So what kind of seeds are you sowing in life? What kind of relational seeds? If you are sowing seeds of judging, criticizing, complaining, you, those are the seeds you're sowing, you will reap conflict. If you're sowing judging and you're sowing complaining and you're sowing criticizing, you will reap conflict. Whereas if you sow seeds of love and humility and forgiveness, you know what you're going to reap? You're going to reap peace. So, recap. Remind me again, I got a short-term memory right here. It's been a long day. We need to take initiative to reconcile the relationship. And in order to do that, three things. I remember what they were. Number one, so that we will look for the why behind the what. Very good. Number two, we will attack the problem, not the person. Very good. And number three, we'll focus on my part, not theirs. Last, I have a bonus tip for you because I know that these, this is not easy, okay? Think of it like a bonus tip or a bonus reminder, something to always, always, always keep in mind as you're going through this peacemaking process, and that's this. That the ultimate goal, the ultimate goal is reconciliation, not resolution. The ultimate goal isn't resolving an issue or a problem. The ultimate goal is is reconciling and restoring a relationship. <clears throat> what I'm about to say sounds bad, but I think it's true. We need to be people 
sons of God, who have our eyes on the ultimate goal. And we need to be people, forgive me, who care a lot less about a lot of things. We need to be people who care a lot less about a lot of things. If we want to live in the kingdom of God, we need to be willing to care less and let go of things of the kingdom of this world. Like, uh, one of the things that we do, okay, if you've ever attended a baptism, especially an adult baptism, there's a very powerful visual there. When someone is coming to the church to be baptized and enter into the kingdom of God, they must first do a renunciation of Satan and renunciation of his kingdom. Okay, you've probably seen this before. That's where they stand with their back. They say, I renounce you, Satan, with all your impure works, all your soldiers, all your wickedness. I renounce you. And what I always say, okay, when the people are doing that, I'm saying, it's basically saying that old life, that old kingdom, I don't want that kingdom. I renounce it. Why? Because that's the only way to enter into this new kingdom. You can't live in two kingdoms. You can't live in two kingdoms. You can't have two kings. You can't have two things that are ultimately most important to you. So in order to accept the new kingdom, we must renounce the old kingdom. That's what we do every time there's a baptism. And I'm telling you, that is what we need to do as well. Let me be honest with you. Don't be offended. Some of us, we need to stop caring so much about our reputation and our respect and our dignity and how could they speak about me and, and, and disrespect me. And, and uh, Come on, man. Like some of us, we need to get over ourselves a little bit, okay? We're not that big a deal. Like they cursed Jesus. You know that, right? Like they cursed Jesus and they said very bad things about him. So you know what? You may be, be insulted every night. Like it's okay. Get over yourself. Some of us need to stop caring so much about what other people post online. Some of us need to stop caring so much about what other people post online as if it is our duty in life to protect the internet from lies. That's my job in life, to make sure that there's only truth said on the internet and only comments that are true. Like, come on. We need to stop caring so much about the things of this world. Some of us, <clears throat> we need to stop being so easily offended if someone doesn't invite us to their little birthday party or if someone made a little comment or someone didn't make a comment. We need to remember you know this. We've offended many people. Like you and I. Like I've offended people. You've offended people. And we are thankful that other people cared not so much and showed us grace. And that's why we're able to reconcile the relationship. Well, we need to be those kind of people. And lastly, if you'll allow me to say, <clears throat> we need to be people. <sighs> we need to be people who stop caring so much about worldly things, even when it comes to things like a presidential election. Forgive me. I've seen stuff this past week, two weeks, whatever it is, about it's the end of the world. The end of the world is coming. Okay, the end of the world is coming if so-and-so wins and so-and-so gets power. And I've heard people say, the gates of Hades. That's what someone told me. The gates of Father Anthony. Did you know November 3rd, the gates of Hades are coming if so-and-so wins and so-and-so. I say to myself, come on, man. We got to be better. Like, we're better than that, are we? We're better than that. I like history. Okay, you know that I like to look backwards in order to understand forwards. And I look back on Christian history. And let me tell you something I never see in Christian history. I never see in Christian history a time where the church, the people of God, 
were so obsessed with politics that it was the end-all be-all. And it was the end of the world if something happened or it was the end of the world if this didn't happen. I don't see that. What I see, and you'll see the same thing if you look at it, what you'll see is the church and Christians endured evil empire after evil empire after evil empire. And they persecuted them and they killed them and they made their, their religion illegal and they burned their churches. And what I see is the church found a way. The church found a way to live, whether the ruler was Christian or the ruler was pagan, whether they built churches or burned churches, whether they promoted us or whether they, they chopped our heads off. The church found a way, and never do I see a time where the church said, life or death is in this political election. Life or death is in when this person wins or this person loses. I never see that in our church history. <clears throat> I know this week, particularly this weekend, <laughs> And know some people are celebrating as if it's the second coming. And some people are mourning as if they lost their firstborn. And I'm telling you, forgive me. I'm telling you, both of them, both of you, both of us, both are wrong. If you think that any person is the answer to all the problems, or any person is the cause of all the problems, We're better than that. We're better than that. We are better than that. We're better than that. We're people who know that no matter what happens over these next four years, and stuff is going to happen for four years, and then you know what? Four years later, it's the most important election, whatever, and then four years later, and then four years later, come on, man. We're better than that. We know that whatever happens, look, it's important. I'm not saying it's not important, but what I'm saying is not as important. I'm saying it's important, but it's not as important. It's like when you're playing Monopoly, okay? And so-and-so got this and so-and-so got this. I'm not saying it's not important because you're playing the game and you want to win the game. I get it. But what I'm saying is not as important. Not as important as being a son of God, as being a peacemaker, as making our heavenly father look down and say, that is my son. We got our eyes on bigger stuff. Yeah, we want to solve the problems of this world, but we got our eyes on bigger stuff. We got our eyes on the kingdom of God and living in that kingdom. That's why our focus is not resolution, it's reconciliation. Last verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. Listen to how many times St. Paul says the word reconcile. He says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us this word of reconciliation. St. Paul makes it very simple. He says, look, Jesus, king of peace, prince of peace, kingdom is all about peace. And he came down to initiate his kingdom, took all the initiative and said, y'all are living outside the kingdom of peace. So here I come, king of peace, and I bring peace. I'm going to look past your actions, okay? I'm not going to look just at the what you did because the what was bad, but I know there's a why. You were disconnected from me, so I understand. That's why you made all those mistakes. I look past it. I'm going to attack not you as a person, even though you did bad things. I'm not going to attack you. I'm going to attack the problem. The problem is the disconnect. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on what I can do. You can't do anything right now. You can't fix the problem between you and the lack of the kingdom and the lack of peace. But I can do my part. And that's what he did. And that's why at the end of his life, he stood in front of the father and he says, it is finished. It's finished. He looked at the father and said, the work that I came, it's finished. He didn't fix all the problems in the world. He didn't solve the government or fix the politics of the time. 
But what he did is he made peace. And he teaches us to do the same. My hope and my prayer is that we go from being just recipients of God's peace to being ambassadors of his peace. Say that one again. That we go from being just recipients of his peace to being ambassadors and agents of his peace in the world because that's the ministry of reconciliation that he has given us. And if we do that, if we do that, I promise you this, church, I promise you this, two things. We become peacemakers. For one, we will live in his kingdom. We'll live in his kingdom and experience that peace. And then number two, that your heavenly father will look down from heaven and say, that's my boy, or that's my girl. Put a smile on his face. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the peace that you have given to us. We who didn't deserve one drop of your peace, Lord, you took the initiative. We didn't deserve it. And you gave us everything. I pray that you would help us, Lord, open our eyes to see the things of the kingdom and not just live in the things of this world. Help us to be agents for your peace and remove anything, Lord, that's causing conflict in our hearts, in our homes, in our community, in our church, in our world. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. The prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. and Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for joining us here today. You can find us on any social media platform and feel free to share a message that inspires you with family and friends. If there's anything we can do for you, visit our website and let us know how we can help or how we can pray for you. If you aren't receiving our weekly email, please click the Stay Connected button on our website. Have a great day.